Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Father-Son Packers podcast, your source for Packers news, notes, and analysis. My name is Tommy, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, my dad, Matt. Dad, how are you doing? Doing good. We are on uh, Combine Testing Eve as we record this, so exciting things coming up soon. Yeah, very exciting things coming up soon. We are here recording the evening of Wednesday, February 28th, right before, I guess, Combine interviews have already started. So you could say the Combine has already started. That's but Combine testing is about yes. to start. The meat of the Combine is just coming up. And we are here today to talk to you a little bit about the Combine, um, some things to watch for, what drills are most important for each position. Um, we also have some interviews for both Brian Gudikins and since the last time we spoke, Jeff Halfley finally got introduced officially as DC and we got to see his interview. So we're going to talk a little bit about that as well. Uh, but dad, are you excited for the combine? Are you, are you ambivalent about the combine? I personally enjoy it because you know, it's some kind of football and I am in football withdrawal at this point. I mean, at this point we are you know, what is it, three weeks out from the Super Bowl, two weeks out from the Super Bowl? Feels like the season was an eon ago. It feels like it's been tons of time. Um, But yeah, Dad, how are you feeling about the Combine coming up? Are you excited for draft season? We've been doing mock draft Mondays on our Twitter. I mean, I'm fully in draft fever mode, and we got a month and a half to go. How are you feeling? I do a a couple couple mock drafts a day. Multiple mock drafts. More than a couple. I was going to say, two um, feels like a low low (laughs) estimate for you. (laughs) Couple is a uh, loosely used word. Um, But what I'm excited about more for the the combine really is just the data. I don't think I'm really going to watch any of it because there's a... I've tried to watch this one before. I was like, I just don't want to wait so long for the results. So I'll just get it all at once. That's totally fair. Uh, and definitely, you know, the mo- they always say the most important part of the combine is the part that's not actually, you know, visible to the to the general public, which is like the interviews and the medicals. Um, but it is right. nice to see. And then you know, other stuff is going on at the NFL combine as well, as in there's probably a whole lot of um, wheeling and dealing. Not yet wheeling and dealing, uh, legal, not legal tampering. Oh yeah, the the tampering period is. I mean. They're like, oh, we're just having discussions. It's like, yeah, no. I wouldn't be surprised if we see maybe, you know, uh, some tag and trade stuff this coming week with some players being tagged a little earlier than expected. But yeah, it's all the good fun of the Combine. Um, But before we get into talking any more about, you know, the interviews, like we said, and the Combine, like we said, just wanted to pitch a couple of things. If you like what you hear today, come give us a follow on Twitter at FatherSonPacker. We tweet out when we have new episodes out, stats that we find interesting when we're researching for these episodes, articles we find interesting. We're doing Mock Draft Mondays every single Monday, if you want to check those out there as well. Tweet out uh, work from other Packers content creators that we find interesting, trying to, you know, just one-stop shopping for everything Titletown. And then subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Podcast, Google Podcast, um, Spotify. We put all our episodes out on YouTube as well. If you want to check us out there, if you subscribe to us on YouTube, it would really help our numbers. Uh, so we'd really appreciate that. Um, but yeah, Dad, let's start talking combine. Uh, before we do, though, just a couple of Packers notes. We actually have a good amount of Packers related news, surprisingly, for this time in the cycle. I'm just going to run through it really quick. 
the first is not Packers related, but we officially have a number for the cap uh, for the salary cap this year for 2024. It's higher than expected. It's going to be 255.4 million, uh, which means that the Packers unexpectedly will actually come in below the salary cap. It was kind of expected that the Packers are going to be just a touch over, uh, but it's looking like we're going to be below by 8 million. And that was uh, before any moves were made. So we came in as soon as that cap number was announced, we're going to be below it by 8 million. So that gives the Packers a little extra space to operate, which is always good. Uh, Beyond that, Dad, we have a couple of uh, salary moves already made by the Packers as we're kind of getting closer and closer to the new year. The first was they restructured Rashawn Gary, uh, and these numbers are per Ken Ingles, at Ken Ingles on Twitter. He's a great follow for Packers cap-related things. Um, They restructured $6.375 million of Rashawn Gary's base salary and roster bonus into signing bonus and spread that out over four years. Long story short, they saved about $4.8 million against the cap in 2024 without adding any void years, so don't need to worry about any of the math there. But saving almost $5 million against the cap in 2024. And then today, they restructured Preston Smith. Um, this, these numbers are Ken Ingles and Tom Silverstein of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Uh, he actually took a pay cut. This is his second pay cut he's taken with the Packers, so shout out Preston Smith, a real Packer for life right there. Uh, and the Packers are going to save $2.4 million against the cap in 2024. Um, and he's going to add a little, a few more incentives to his contract. So if he hits 10 sacks in 2024, according to Tom Silverstein, he'll be getting $4 million extra. But they are saving money against the cap here in 2024. So between the two moves, they're saving around seven, seven-ish million dollars, which, you know, is a decent amount of money, essentially doubling the, the cap space they already had. Here's me crossing my fingers that Preston earns the, that $4 million. Yes, exactly. So it's like, hey, if he earns that $4 million, that's great for the Packers. 10 sacks? Like, we'll take that any day of the week. That's I'll, I'll spend $4 million of not my money on 10 sacks. <laughs> yes, like, any day of the week. How are you, how are you spending $4 million? Of not, hey, as, as a Packers owner, you know. Uh, that's, as a Packers, that's, Packers, Packers amount, uh, right? owner decision. Yes, of course. As as an owner, I can say that, you know, we would gladly part with $4 million uh, if we get 10 sacks out of Packers Preston money for uh, Preston. Yeah, so those are the two restructures. And then we have three more moves on the coaching staff. And this, uh, these numbers are for Paul, uh, Paul Brittle's Substack and then Paul Brittle on Packers Wire. Uh, great follow. Check him out at Paul underscore Brittle on Twitter. Um, they have hired Eddie Gordon as an offensive line assistant. He was formerly uh, UAB's O-line coach. And before that, he was an assistant at Georgia. Uh, so he's going to be an offensive line assistant. They also hired Sean Duggan as a, I believe it's Duggan and not Dugan, but it could be Dugan. My apologies if I mispronounce that. As a defensive assistant, he was the linebacker coach from 2020 to 2022 and then co-DC in 2023 at Boston College under Halfley. So he has experience working under Halfley. Uh, and then finally, this was actually just announced like 15 minutes before we started recording, um, but they hired Anthony Perkins as an assistant defensive backs coach. He was the defensive coordinator and defensive backs coach at Oregon State for the last two years. And before that, he was the cornerbacks coach at Colorado State. So mostly experience at the college ranks, but exciting to bring him in. Some, you know, more fresh faces on the defensive group coaching staff, Dad. And I think, like, that's something we're excited about, right? Yes, I'm really looking forward to seeing a kind of a different attitude, not even a scheme, but like style and attitude in the in the secondary under Halfley. Yeah, and uh, style and attitude and new energy and new ideas. It definitely felt like things were just getting a little bit stale. But speaking of those new energy and ideas, Dad, we have not talked since Halfley's interview introductory presser. And you went through it and broke down what you thought about it, some things that you found interesting in it. Do you want to take it away? Yeah, so he had a number of points that that he in response to questions that he made, and so 
his reasons for coming to Green Bay, he specifically mentioned wanting to join LaFleur. And even though he hadn't worked with him before, but kind of worked with people who'd worked with him. And so they had contacts through other people. And he was excited about how well he'd been doing lately and about the team that Gutekunst has put together. He specifically mentioned how they overcame adversity, adversity this year through that losing streak and then um, recovering and having a good year. And that Green Bay and that Lambeau is the mecca of football. He sure knows how to, if nothing else, pander to the fan base. And I tell, I, let me tell you, I was eating it up. I was a hundred percent eating it up for sure. <laughs> I mean, I mean, he he had me hook, line, and sinker. I can't lie. He was getting everybody riled up. Yeah, in terms of like people say, like, yeah, he uh, he he won the press conference. Um, he talked about his core beliefs. He was asked about those. That it kind of, in some way, summarized as put the players in the best position to succeed regardless of the scheme. So you're talking about whether you're doing 4-3, 3-4, whether you're in nickel, and make it simple for the players so they can play fast and don't have to hesitate while they're thinking about what they should do. He talked talked about giving players the info they need so they can be fearless and play with their hair on fire, go get the ball and get hands on people. And that his core beliefs weren't going to change based on like moving from college to the NFL. You know, and he said, well, I was in the NFL before. They gave me the same. Yeah, the same thing in reverse. Uh, I remember question he was saying. Question in like, reverse. Yeah, because like, like so well, I've already coached, coached in the pros. Can he coach in college? And he's like, now it's well, he coached in college. Can he coach in the pros? He's like, I'm used to it. It is what it is. Yeah. And so then another one of his core philosophies seems to be he's he wants the best ideas out there. doesn't care where they come from. His experience said his experience as a head coach has made him more open to ideas from other people, the, the assistants, and also including players. And he mentioned learning plays and getting advice from players before and like Richard Sherman, who has said good things about Halfley in the press as well. Um, so that's something he's willing to, you know, I think let go of a little bit of ego and yeah. And I this think is what's working, how are we going to implement it? This is what you see explain. And he also talked about wanting people to explain why they thought something was better so that, um, you know, you could see it. And then, you know, if he learns it that way, then it's going to be easier for him to explain to other people. Yeah, and I think that lack of ego was also really evident in another like uh, comment he had where he was talking about he's like, you know, look, I'm I, just because I'm the defensive coordinator doesn't mean like the, I'm like I can't just expect these guys to respect me as soon as I walk into the room. He's like that has to be earned both me to the players and the players to me. Like it's it's like a growing relationship type thing where like et cetera. Like it was he. He clearly seemed to understand, like, hey, like, I'm not just Mr. Big Shot because I'm the defensive coordinator now. Like, they've been all been here longer than me. Like, I need to, like, earn their respect and they need to earn mine and we need to get used to each other and learn what works between, like, us and them and whatever ideas, wherever they might come from. Like, whatever is best for the Packers is best for, for us. So I thought that was really awesome. And, yeah, he, I mean, he definitely, like, answering these questions, like, you could tell he was a head coach before. Like, this, like, he has extensive experience with the media for sure. Yeah. Just, right, how to, how to, like, Talk about the big picture and connect with people and this, and kind of command the, the the press conference. He also mentioned what he's looking for a safety. This is actually in some ways kind of a funny moment. He says, "Yeah, I want a guy who can erase things, get a guy down, finish off at the pile, get inter- interceptions, can communicate, go man." And is I guess I just I guess I just described the perfect player. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's what I want. No, that was really <laughs> so funny when he was talking about that post safety. And I yeah. do think like what he wants is post safety. 
He's like, yeah, no, he has to be able to tackle. He has to be able to take the ball away. He has to be able to close. He needs to be the last line of defense. He needs to be able to play man coverage. He needs to be able to play that deep. It's like, okay, so he needs to be able to do everything. Um, but I think the more I heard him like say about the demands of that position, the more convinced I am that they're going to try and add someone at that spot in free agency because that number one, uh, the player he describes not on the roster. Uh, number two, uh, I think it would be kind of overambitious to expect a rookie to come in right away, especially in a safety class that's just so-so, but a rookie to come in right away and fulfill all of those requirements. So that that specific answer, I found the most interesting of all of them when he was asked what like he needs at that safety position, because it was like, okay, so you're going to need to bring in a vet then, because there's no way anyone at like purely just drafted or on the roster is going to be able to do that, right? Yeah, the other thing, you know, it's interesting you talk about this safety class not being regarded that highly. It makes two in a row that aren't gen- uh, generally thought of as not being that good. And yeah, and w- is that just a blip? Is that a trend? What's going on here? I think it's, I think it's a trend, honestly. And I think that, you know, these top-level athletes aren't playing safety as much anymore also. It's not paid as much as corners, not paid as much as, you know, receiver. Uh, and also... It seems like it seems like every year the the free agency market, you know, you see we brought in Amos like several years ago. You see the Falcons last year bring in Jesse Bates, have a lot of success there, and that there there seem to be free agents available at the safety position each year. And we looked at this class and we talked about it a couple episodes ago, talking about you know Xavier McKinney being actually I think it was just this last episode talking about you know Xavier McKinney, uh, Cameron Curl, Antoine Winfield, Geno Stone. The list goes on and on, but there should be like, it's a pretty strong free agency class of safeties while it's not necessarily the strongest draft class of safeties. And it has been something that you can get a good safety on the free agent market the last few years without it being that much of a cap hit because the market for safeties is kind of depressed. Exactly. As are, I assume, the safeties themselves. And I think, you know, part of the depression of the market of safeties is kind of a uh, function of you know, the large amount of too high being played in the league where there's a lot less demand at each safety, you know, given the fact that they only need to play half the field and they're mostly playing deep. They don't need to man up as much. And so you can get by with substandard safety play when you have a ton of too high coverage and not as much, you know, range demanded of your safeties. And so that's probably, I think, you know, just a function of the trend of the defense. And, you know, maybe with teams trending away from that too high stuff, maybe safety will come back in vogue and start getting paid higher. You never know. It'll be Um, more. Yeah. So when you have it schemed so that the um, level of an individual single player does not make that much difference between say having the best versus the 10th best. Yeah. That's um, just inherently that scheme be, changes yeah. so that, that there's a bigger difference in how the team performs when you have uh, that, that difference in t- um, talent level, then the price tag is going to start going back up again. Yeah. So I think, you know, with maybe teams moving away from that too high, we might see, you know, safety's getting paid a little bit more going forward in the next five years, but only time will tell. Dad, anything else you wanted to add on Halfley's presser? Should we start talking about the combine and what Gudikins had to say on Monday? Okay, I just will t- t- touch on a few more things about um, he really is emphasizing like teaching, so stressed keeping in mind what players can learn and not giving them too much and overload them, and then blame the players. So he says specifically that that's not good coaching. So he's um, and then he said something about I, personality. So there won't be a lot of yelling, but a lot of 
somebody actually asked about yelling, saying, no, not be a lot of yelling, but a lot of coaching. Be demanding, but not demeaning. Being cerebral is good, but need energy on the field. But he's, he and his staff are not going to motivate through fear. You got to push the players, but want what's best for them and make sure they know that you want what's best for them. Yeah, I thought that the part he was saying that you were just saying prior to that, where he was like, I could have like this super complex defense where oh, there are all these checks and there are all these like you do this if this happens and you do this if this happens and it's got everything covered. And then the players go out there and they don't they, they like can't do it because it's too complicated. And then I can just be like, well, we didn't execute like I had the I had the right scheme, but the players didn't, you know, go out and execute. It's like he's like, I could just say that, but that's bad coaching, too. Like the coaching isn't just about a scheme it's about teaching the players your scheme and if your scheme is too complicated for players to execute then what are we even do like what's the point you know and i thought that was very We've refreshing take from him talked about this before as a coach you are a teacher you're teaching your players what you want them to play and how to do it and if one player fails okay that's the player's fault if everybody if there are many players on the field who don't know what they're supposed to do that's a coaching problem. It's nothing to do with scheme. It's about how you play and how you're, you've been taught how to play. And yeah. so when people talk about whether you know uh, one coach's scheme is bad, that's only a small part of the coaching um, picture. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. But yeah, no, I was really overall, uh, just to wrap up halfway, I was psyched. I think he, you know, obviously... None of this matters until they take the field in September or like prior to that also, I guess, in camp and stuff. And nothing matters until we see what they put on the field. And the only thing that matters is what they put on the field. But it's better to have a good press conference than a bad press conference. So, you know, for now, it's positive signs. And I think he really yeah. nailed that first presser. Yeah, he did a great job. We really got, I think everybody who actually watched was like, oh man, I'm fired up. Can we start now? Yeah, no. And I, I think it's a welcome change in energy on the defensive side. Um, but Dad, moving on to the combine now, the meat of our episode, what we really wanted to talk well, about. Oh, do you, you want, want to talk one, about the one more thing? Presser first, or do you want to? Well, well I, I'm the considering press, the Gutekunst presser. presser as part of the combine. So I just wanted to read oh, off okay. for our listeners. That's uh, true. It was the, the combine. Yeah, I just wanted to read off for our listeners the schedule of the combine really quick. So on Monday, Brian Gutekunst spoke for 45 minutes to local reporters, uh, and then spoke for another 15 minutes to national media. Uh, but just before we get into that, just wanted to go over the schedule of the Combine for those of you at home who might not be familiar. Tomorrow, Thursday, February 29th, is going to be the defensive linemen and linebackers doing drills. So linebackers, definitely something you might want to keep an eye on as the Packers are definitely in need at that position. On Friday, it will be defensive backs and tight ends. Uh, that's Friday, March 1st. On Saturday, it'll be quarterbacks, wide receivers, and running backs. Keep an eye on those running backs for sure because I think the Packers are almost guaranteed to add one. And then on Sunday, it'll be offensive linemen to finish it all up. And that will be the end of combine testing. So keep your eye on all of that. Um, but Dad, like I was saying, on Monday, Brian Kudikin spoke at the combine in Indianapolis. Did he say anything interesting? Was it a lot of platitudes? I think yes and yes. Uh, what'd you have for us? What, what stood out for, to you from that? Yeah, uh, so interview? especially the uh, the video that was the uh, 15 minutes with the national media, I think that it was a little heavier on the platitudes. But yeah. Uh, so you get a little insight in some of, of what he had to say there. So people are talking about whether the asked about the transfer, what he thought about the transfer portal, whether like the broader experience in terms of schemes players were getting exposed to was a good thing or a bad thing. And you got, it's kind of a general philosophy that Gudikins really thought it's important for players to know a scheme very well, especially quarterbacks um, to be able to play well. And that seems to be a, a core philosophy of his and that, 
to scout players to see whether they fit into the team culture or not. They, they like to follow players for several years, and that is harder now with the transfer portal because they are now you know, switching from one scheme to another and new environment to another. Yeah, and he um, mentioned like he was comparing it to... He's like, yeah, he's like, yes, I see what you're saying about them learning multiple different things, but if you have a player come in as a rookie and they have three different offensive coordinators in their first three years, we hardly ever see those players succeed. And he's like, so I think it's kind of similar at the college level. I was like, yeah, that's a good point, actually. It's like, it's usually need multiple years in a scheme to really know what you're right. doing out there. You hear that a lot for players like oh, you, you get some um, accident forgiveness, as it were, if you've had multiple coordinators early in your career. He mentioned something about he was asked about what he thought about players opting out of cognitive testing and how that affects evaluation. And he had a so I guess the Packers have their own cognitive um, test as well as what the NFL does. And he says they generally use it to figure out how to support a player on the team rather than whether or not to draft somebody. Mm-hmm. So it's more about how they how they learn it looked like to me like what they, they were learn. good at yeah and i was like okay that's and that's actually that was actually really interesting because it's like you know a lot of people like you said are opting out of testing because um of last year the s2 scores got leaked and cj strouds was really really bad and a lot of people were talking about that there was a talking point for like a good three weeks or so about like oh like if his s2 scores are bad do teams really want to take a chance on it? and you know i think it worked out pretty well for the texans if uh, i'm sure they would do it back again yeah, it like, 100 times out of 100 it certainly benefited them that that leaked out yeah but so uh it turns out that um a lot of players have already decided this year that they're not going to be doing some of those tests so but yeah so and the fact that he was saying is like it's not really an evaluation so much as it is uh telling us what to do with the yeah. player. And he was actually saying, even for the players that won't be taking it, they'll be having them take it after they're drafted after by the, Packers, the team, yeah. which I was like, okay, yeah, that's, so it's not that's a, pretty interesting. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's like he doesn't, the team doesn't use it as a filter, but more as a tool to figure out how best to help players succeed. Um, then he talked a little bit about what he thought about uh, Jordan Love's year that I uh, really, really liked how, steady it was in the tough stretch in October and, and how and that he wasn't surprised um, by anything but was pleased to see how well he handled the adversity and was really pleased to see how the team rallied around it um what he thought about the personnel change at, at the coaching staff and the change in def- defensive scheme and how that might impact any decisions they make he said he's still just getting to know halfway now but the emphasis is on play standards and play style he feels like they want to have more good players. They want to improve the competition within all of the, the position rooms on offense and defense and emphasize several times as presser about competition in those rooms and how much it helped the team last year on offense. And he also said that the foundation of what Green Bay looks for in players won't change. Um, how Halfley wants to play, will ha- he said something about have a factor at the final decision, um, but he really... but. Gudikin stressed that they want versatile guys, and that seems like Gudikin's philosophy is to have guys who are versatile so they can switch to other positions in case of injury. Um, the next thing he talked about was he was asked about whether the salary cap increase will affect their overall offseason plans. Um, and all he said was that it gives them some flexibility in contract structure. Well, to me, that part was actually interesting because the, the, the full quote that I heard was... Um, it's just about flexibility. And then he said, it doesn't change like our plans for like how we want to go about acquiring people. 
And the way I, I kind of butchered the exact quote, but the way he said like their plans, it seemed like he, the way that he said it, they already had plans of acquiring players. And so that kind of makes me think that they are perhaps going to be more of a player in free agency that, you know, like I said, with the halfway thing, and maybe it's just wishful thinking totally could be. I'm still, you know, obviously mostly a fan, but I, and obviously want the play, them to just add good players. Cause those are always more fun to watch. Um, but it did make me think, you know, that the way he said it is like, I don't think it changes the way that we were going to go about acquiring players. Makes me think that they, that along with, you know, the demands of the safety, and then along with them freeing up cap space already, makes me think they're going to try and be players in free agency uh, more so than they've been in the past few years. So, and and the fact that, you know, they just don't have safeties and linebackers on the roster right now. Um, yeah, and, and but, they've been, and they've been, you know, increasing their salary cap room. And so it seems like they have a plan. Ideas and plans. They yes. have ideas. But uh, yeah, so that that quote was interesting to me. The fact that he, the way he phrased it made it seem like they were already looking at acquiring players. But you know, March 11th, I guess we'll see when free agency opens. Uh, but sorry, that continue. Yeah, and so then there were some other quotes that weren't in the national uh, media. So from Tom Silverstein, Gudikin said that at the combine said at the combine that a decision on Bakhtiari will be made before the start of free agency in March. So and that'll be before his surgically repaired knee is fully recovered. Um, I think there was also a quote regarding Bakhtiari as well from Rob Domofsky about how he might not be ready until training, training camp. camp. Yeah, that was the one that so I saw as well. They'll be making a decision on Bakhtiari, it sounds like, before he's ready to get on the field. So that coming up in just a couple of weeks. So not much is going to change between now and then. Unless, like, what changes is Bakhtiari willing to take some big pay cut or something? Yeah. Otherwise, I don't know what could possibly be changed. Because cutting him, it's twenty million, if I remember correctly. It's about twenty. It's so it's 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 twenty, maybe twenty and a bit. But it's but uh, it's about half of his salary cap hit, and yeah. that all none of that salary is guaranteed. None of that salary is in bonuses. Um, if, if I remember correctly. So that's a big thing that's coming yeah, soon. It's coming down um, the pipe, it looks like. And it's unfortunate, but I think it's looking more and more with every day that he's probably going to end up getting cut. Especially if they say that that's what I think when he says it's coming up so quickly, they're making a decision that soon that it's going to probably not going to be good news for Bakhtiari staying in Green Bay. Yeah. And also there was a report of uh, Russ Ball's going to be meeting with agents for Aaron Jones and many others. Um, so yeah, some of yeah, the others may have about, been these restructures that have already happened, uh, since Monday. Yeah. And two other players that are probably going to get restructured are Aaron Jones and Kenny Clark. Although we might see Kenny get an extension. We'll see, uh, because both of their cap hits for 2024 are pretty high. Uh, and then, you know, Gudikins also, I think I'm assuming Russ Ball is also meeting with Jordan Love's agents because, uh, that contract oh, yeah, is it, coming it, up quick. <laughs> yeah. And there's a quotes that, uh, Matt Schneidman passed along on that. He says, uh, from Goodkins, I'm sure I'll see Love's agents while 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 we're here, yep. meaning at the combine. Did you see what Spotrack had uh had as his estimated uh contract? You told me there was basically fifty million a year. Yeah, it was four year, two hundred million. Um, so that would make him around the fourth highest paid quarterback if they if that was like his actual contract. It'd be right behind Jalen Hurts and right ahead of Kyler Murray. So, I mean, I'd be fine with it. I think he more that than earned it. Well, yeah. in terms of that pos that position, that seems fair. Yeah. I mean, he played really well. He did his time, you know, sat behind Aaron Rodgers, learned, worked hard, kept, like 
was the leader they needed this year, took him to the playoffs, played excellent in the playoffs. And, you know, I mean, I think he more than deserved that contract. So, you know, write the check. Let's do it. Yep. And that, yeah. So in terms of the, where we think he slots in, in the league, uh, sort of between Hertz and Murray doesn't seem out of the ordinary. Yeah. It doesn't seem, doesn't seem unreasonable at all. Um, but Gutigans definitely had some other interesting things to talk about during that uh, that 45 minutes with the local press. I think they were they must have been digging harder than the national media because the national media was throwing him some softballs. But we got some real answers from him in the uh, the local media section. Yeah, he also had something to say about Anders Carlson that said that there's going to need to be a curve of getting better if that's going to continue. Now that is a th- that's, that's like a threatening statement in in certain movie circles. That's like. like- ominous that was like an yeah, ominous that, that's quote. like i don't you, know when he, you read that it's like oh yeah that's like an ominously threatening quote if this was like some if he was a movie villain yeah no and the thing is like we don't have like the video or the audio of it so we don't know like with what tone it was said but the the way that if that's gonna continue it was, that way yeah if that's gonna continue is written is <laughs> oh buddy did, did thanos say this yeah and you know <laughs> it makes you wonder like are are we ever drafting a kicker or a punter ever again under Gudikins? Maybe not, yeah. you know, and may- that's maybe not a bad thing. Uh, right. Uh, no, so yeah. some, some of what you looked at. Um, and then about Rashid Walker, can he be in left tackle, starting left tackle in the league? And his quote was, I certainly think he's already shown that. That was may- very interesting to me. But if, and if that's how he feels about Walker's play, then that also leads you to think that they're not going to take the risk of having you know, hope that Bakhtiari is healthy enough to play next year. Well, to me, it kind of changes how I might view what they're looking at with that first round pick. Cause to up to this point, a lot of the mock drafts that I've been doing, it's like looking at guys like Fautanu, looking at guys like Graham Barton, uh, looking at guys like, uh, Jordan out of, uh, Arizona, Arizona, looking at guys like Marius Mims, if he falls out of Georgia, but if he feels confident in Rashid Walker to that extent at left tackle one, maybe he doesn't view left tackle as a major need for this offensive line. And if you're not looking at a tackle in the first round, you're probably not taking a guard in the first round. So, you know, I, I think that might change how I view their draft strategy. And, you know, maybe it's all it is. We're coming up right on lying season. We're just we're right coming there. up on that's coming true. up on. I, I, I view <laughs> we're in the middle of it that's because true. We, <laughs> once the combine starts it is you know officially lying season so it's fair enough. that ends in why uh, also yes <laughs> but but so no so I, I did think that that walker quote was probably the most interesting thing uh that he said during this section it's like okay so they like walker a good amount uh and you know he played pretty dang well last year to be honest i mean he's not the best run blocker but his pass protection was quite good um anything else from uh goody in this uh segment and, and then the last thing is that he thinks that we will always like to have one power back, a bigger back on the roster for short yardage situations and playing in the weather and closing out games. And so to that, I thought my first my, my first reaction when I heard that was they're going to draft Braylon Allen. Mine was they're going to draft Audrick Estime out of Notre <laughs> Dame. So we had very similar thoughts. What are your thoughts on that as a uh, philosophy, though? I, I don't love it. It's a little bit of old school thinking. That's what it is to me, because it's like, sure. I, like oh we I, just want to pound him into submission but you actually have like i'd have to look at the data in more detail but if i remember what we've talked about before that aaron jones is actually better in a lot of short yard situations than bigger backs oh then dylan 100 percent. i mean this is they're trying to essentially 
like do with Dylan, but like successfully. And Dylan's like a fine player, but not like a second round pick worthy player. But I, I mean, Aaron Jones has been the better short yardage back the entire time both of them have been there. So I don't really understand. I don't understand the the feel for the need for thunder and lightning. Like, let's just get two good backs. I can mean, if he two, happens two, to be can, bigger, that's fine. Can we get but, two lightning bolts? Yeah, it's like like if we had two Aaron Joneses, is anyone going to complain because they're both small? This is I don't the think thing so. That they need to think about more. It's like okay, Aaron Jones' style of play, his skill set works really well. Why don't why not we have keep two? getting that? Why not have two? Why, of we them? Keep, why not have three of and, them? And, then, and when and when he misses games, the offense suffers tremendously. So yeah. why not look for players with that skill set instead of a complimentary? Just to get the best. When you're looking for a complimentary back, that guy probably, like, at least what we saw with Dylan is he was not able to be the lead back. He was fine as, like, a complimentary inning eater. But like you said, the offense was way worse when Jones didn't play. What if you had a guy who could just do the Jones things if Jones misses time, which, you know, he missed over half the games this past year and was hurt for several of them. So, like, you can't expect him to be healthy. He's turning 30 next December. So I, I don't really get it. Um, There are fine, like, bigger backs in this class. So, like, th- that's the thing is, like, I'm not saying that a bigger back is bad. I'm just saying you shouldn't limit yourself. You just take a good running back. Like, just because Bucky Irving yeah. is small from Oregon, like, doesn't mean you shouldn't take him. Right? And, and that doesn't and, mean and that there are small... or Braylon Allen might not be really good. But don't be like, oh, like, we can't take him because Jones is small and we don't want a second small guy. It's like, no, just take a good second back so we have two good running backs and we can have a good running back on the field all the time. Because you know how mad people would get when they'd see Aaron Jones trot to the sideline and another running back come in? It wasn't because like it was like don't don't it was just, just like yeah. why are you taking Jones out now? That's We're doing is, great. Is is just don't don't feel it's like you can't take a good back because they're like not a good fit next to Jones or something. Like I I think that's not the best thinking. But it is what Goodikin said, and it is something to you know just keep in mind when you're trying to project what the Packers are going to do in the draft. Is you know he says they want a bigger back next to Jones, so that's that's what they're going to probably try and do. Yes, and if you feel like the Packers are doing decisions on, um, in terms of who they're putting in the game to frustrate you, then sure. Probably, maybe. <laughs> it's all personal. It could be. Um, but anyway, Dad, anything left on uh, Gudikin's suppressor that you wanted to touch on? I thought you I know, think those are the, the, main, but... the main points. Yeah, there, there are actually, especially the quotes that came out from the local media, some interesting tidbits in there. Yeah, okay. Well, let's start talking about the Combine itself then, um, because I have some interesting things uh, that I wanted to talk about. But specifically for the Combine with the Packers, it is, I think, more important for Green Bay than for other organizations, because Green Bay, especially under Brian Gutekinds, have just loved elite athletes. And these numbers are from Paul Brettel on PackersWire.com. If you're not familiar with relative athletic score, it's essentially a way of capturing athleticism and controlling for size. So like, yeah, it's the idea that, you know, a 6'5", 290-pound guy running a 4'6 is more impressive than a 6'180 guy running a 4'3". Um, it's kind of that idea, so it's controlling for size and at the position. Um, but these are numbers are from Paul Brettel, like I said on Packers Wire. Since 2018, when Brian Gudikins took over, he has made 61 draft picks with 54 of them registering on the RAS scale. Of those 54 picks, 40 have had an, a RAS of at least 8, including 25 scoring above a 9.0. 
Uh, just 10 of those selections have been below a seven with only two of them, Amari Rogers and Jaden Reed being top hundred selections. And then the other eight were day three picks. So keep an eye on the combine this week because guys who test really well are more likely to be Packers than guys who don't test well. You know, the Packers love their elite athletes, especially in the first round, you know, way like almost two thirds of them are like above an eight, which is like an elite athlete. And then a a third of them are, you know, uber elite athletes. So just keep that in mind. You know, guys like Lucas Van Ness, super elite athlete, Rashawn Gary, super elite athlete, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, down the line. So just keep that in mind. Um, But what I wanted to look at uh, today was I wanted to look at which combine drills were most important at each position. So I did a little bit of a project. Um, So I was kind of looking at which ones, you know, when I say most important, which ones correlated most to success at the NFL level. Uh, Now, the first step was, uh, so I used, end up using data from um, pro football reference for the combine data. And then I used data from spot track for contract data. And you might be like, why contract data? So the first thing I had to do was, you know, define what I wanted to say success at the NFL level was. Um, and so what I used as a proxy for that was a player's second contract, the amount of total money that they got on their second contract. Now, first issue you might say is like, Hey, like over time, like contracts increase in value. Uh, so how are you going to handle that? And so what I did to control for contract and, you know, contracts are different position to position. And that's totally right. So what I did to, you know, normalize those contract values um, was I took each contract and I looked at every contract signed. And so I was looking at uh, the total contracts, all every contract signed from 2000 until now. And so for each player's second contract, I look at every contract signed at their position before that contract. And normalized it. So, you know, like a standard normal distribution and looked at where it would fall in that normal distribution. So a Z-score is what that would be called. And looked at where it would fall, you know, amongst all contracts signed at that position prior to that. So essentially, you know, was it resetting the market or where was it relative to the market at that time? Um, So what I looked at then was essentially taking that normalized second contract value. And I looked at all players who participated in the combine from 2013 uh, to 2023, who had signed a second contract. And I looked at how each of those uh, combine testing numbers, so what Pro Football Reference has is height, weight, 40-yard dash, vertical, bench, broad jump, three-cone, and shuttle, so eight of those. And I looked at, for each position, which one had the highest correlation to that normalized second contract value. And so for each position, I kind of use that. It's kind of a, you know, a little bit simple, just looking at correlation and not looking at some kind of linear regression amongst all the variables. You could do something more complicated like that. But I just wanted to see which uh, test or measurement or physical measurement had the highest correlation to that second contract value. And so for each position, I found that. So for quarterback, interestingly enough, it is the bench press and it is actually negatively correlated. So the better you do on the bench... Uh, the worse you uh, generally get in terms of second contract value. Now, what's actually probably happening here is there is a confounding factor in arm length. Um, So players with shorter arms are better at the bench press. And so players with shorter arms are probably worse quarterbacks. So the shorter arms being better at the bench press and then shorter arms being a worse quarterback because you're slightly smaller. It's probably what's happening there. But that was what it was for quarterback. Going down the list, tackle. The one that correlated the best was the short shuttle. 
Um, so, you know, the faster you ran the short shuttle, the better you ended up getting value-wise on your second contract or the better, better tackle you were at the NFL level over your first contract. So that was the short and, shuttle and, for tackles. Yeah, and so listeners, this is something that's actually been talked about in Packers blogosphere, you know, social media for a number of years now that the Packers have been very interested in short shuttle testing um, yeah. at the tackle position. And Guys like it, Zach Tom absolutely destroyed short shuttle. Um, I believe John Runyon had a really good short shuttle time. I, I, that one I'm less sure about, but Zach Tom absolutely annihilated it. But it's it's generally, you know, that one for tackles and for offensive linemen in general is a very useful one. Yeah, and Going, it turns out that, so what the Packers have been, if Packers have been using that, that it seems like they have, it looks like it is uh, borne out by the data league-wide. Yeah. Defensive end, the one that correlated the best was also the short shuttle. For cornerbacks, the one that correlated the best was broad jump. Now that kind of makes, you know, some success or some some sense. Uh, you know, you want those short area explosive bursts. Uh, if you're a corner, you got to change direction really quickly. And that's generally what uh, broad jump is meant to test for. For guard, this one was interesting to me. The 40-yard dash was actually what translated the best to in terms of just what correlated the most uh, to that second contract value, that normalized second contract value. For defensive tackles, it was the three cone. For inside linebackers, it was also the 40-yard dash, interestingly enough, which kind of makes sense in some instances. What's really in vogue right now in the league is those sideline to sideline like players. And we see that with a lot of the top defenses, they need linebackers to be able to go sideline to sideline. For centers, Interestingly enough, it was height. That was a bit of a surprise to me. Um, that one, I think, is probably a little bit more just noise. As we get down to these ones, these are ones that are slightly less correlated. And to me, what that means is essentially athleticism is maybe less of a premium at these positions. For tight end, it was also the broad jump. Um, you know, exp explosivity is also really important at that position. For safety, now we're getting down to the last, these last three positions is like a very low correlation in terms of like one testing number to you know that normalized second contract value for safety it was the bench for running back it was the three cone and for wide receiver it was the broad jump and all of those were pretty low correlation values so pretty much essentially that athleticism testing for those players is not as necessarily at a premium as it is for some of these other positions when you're looking at it yeah, though i just say it's interesting for the, like, the wide receiver if you think they're they're the most correlated test the broad jump would somehow would I think fall in like the sixth or, or the the whether the fifth most correlated test for for tackles? Yeah, tackle is definitely so one you, where athleticism you, is at a premium. Right. So and just give the, the listener a little sense of how less the athletic testing is correlated with wide receiver success compared to tackle success. Yeah. So just to rattle those off one more time, if you're watching the combine this week or looking at the numbers across the ticker, these are the ones that you want to look at for each position. Quarterback, the bench. Tackle, sh the short shuttle. Outs uh, defensive end, the short shuttle. Cornerback group, the broad jump. Guard, the 40-yard dash. Defensive tackle, the three cone. Inside linebacker, the 40-yard dash. Tight end, the broad jump. Safety, the bench. Running back, the three cone. And wide receiver, the broad jump. Now, in terms of, I also did a quick little group buy on position in terms of looking at the correlations for each of the testing for each position and did that essentially to look at how important athletic testing was for each position. And what you end up with is athletic, athletic testing and measurables, so height and weight as well, are really important for quarterback, tackle, defensive tackle, outside linebacker, 
corner and inside linebacker. And then the ones that it's really not as important for are in terms, or at least didn't correlate as much to that second contract and the amount that the league ended up valuing them were wide receiver, running back, safety, tight end, center, and guard. Those are the ones where athletic testing was not necessarily at a, at a premium in terms of looking at all athletic testing and the average of the absolute values of those correlations amongst all those athletic testings. So just something to keep in mind when you're watching the combine this week or when you're looking at those numbers, some athletic testing and some drills matter more for certain positions than they do for others. And so I just wanted to do, you know, a quick little simple correlation comparison um, looking at how, you know, over the course of that first contract success, which of those athletic measurables correlated to that. And I thought it was, you know, kind of interesting. It might seem dry to some of you. Some of you might find it interesting. If only one of you finds it, finds it interesting, you know, I'll, I'll count that as a win. It was, it was fun for me to do. And I'll definitely be like keeping that in mind when I'm looking at stuff, but also just to keep in mind these correlations, you know, there, there's a definitely a lot of noise there. It's not the biggest sample. Most of these were around like 80 to a hundred players. So not the not the most massive sample size and you know the correlations were all like nothing was like a perfectly linear correlation most of them were around you know Pearson's R of around like 0.3 so you know a general trend but nothing that's like super duper substantial you could probably get something more interesting if you looked at a combination like a linear combination of each of the drills for each position um but that would just you know i think be a little too in the weeds for an episode like this and maybe this was a little too in the weeds for an episode like this but i had fun doing it um but yeah so just keep that in mind when you're looking at the combine just to wrap it up some drills are more important than others dad anything else you wanted to take away from that um i think you know the the one that really i was like yeah no this makes sense is the fact that the shuttle is really important for some of those bigger guys yeah, he likes visually. I was you're talking about the guard for the forty, and I was thinking, well, maybe what really matters for the guard is like being able to get out of the second level and yeah. get those next level blocks. And so maybe speed matters for those those guards trying to go upfield. Hundred percent thing that really gets valued. Yeah, um, and Dad, I think we we're just going to wrap it up here today, just talking about maybe three players each that we're keeping an eye on specifically at the combine for what they do. Uh, I guess we can just go every other. Uh, do you want to go first? Yeah. So not surprising to you will be that I cheated in picking three players. You did? Really? <laughs> so the first is I've got Edron Cooper and other top linebackers. Like Okay. Uh, All right. Colson from Michigan or Peyton Wilson. I want to see their 40 times. So I don't know which one. I'm going to be looking at the 40 times for those inside um, linebackers. Yeah. And we saw, you know, the 40 was the one was the drill that correlated the most to that contract value for linebackers and a linebacker is really important need. Um, you know, for me, I, I, so I think that's an excellent choice. Uh, for me, the first one that I listed was Tavondre Sweat is a player that, you know, I'm very interested in for the Packers in that second round. He's a freak, uh, but he did not weigh in at the senior bowl, presumably because he was probably a little too heavy. So I'm really curious to see what he weighs in at, at the combine. Is he going to be over 360? That's what they listed him at, at Texas. And he didn't weigh in at the senior bowl. So you have to presume he's, he was probably like 375 then. Um, so I'm interested to see what he does there. Dad, what was your uh, second player or group of players? Since I guess you're just doing whatever you want over there. <laughs> it's off season. True. So I'm looking True. at possible slot corners and ones I'm at are kind of around where I think they could pick one in the se maybe second rounders, depending on how they test Jerry and Jones and Andrew Phillips. Um, I want to see what their shuttle times are. This, I think, came out to be maybe the second most important trait for cornerbacks by your analysis. And I think he maybe is even more important in the slot. These are yeah. two guys who played a, a fair amount of slot 
um, reps in college and could be options for the Packers as a slot corner. Totally, totally see it. For me, the second one for me was also a corner. It was Ennis Rakestraw Jr., a guy that we've you know mocked in the first round to the Packers several times. I want to see what he weighs in at also. But on the other side, you know, Mizzou, I think, had him listed at just about like a buck 85, buck 88. Is it going to take small. two of him to be one um, Devondre Sweat? Two of him might not even be one Devondre Sweat, <laughs> honestly. Um, but so I want to see if he comes in like over like one night. I would like to see him, you know, over like 190, 192, I think it would be, I think, a better yeah, weight the, for him. The, the Packers do seem to have a threshold of there for height and weight maybe for corners and so I'd be curious to see where he comes in on that yeah and who'd you have as your uh, last one um so the top safeties really um Newbin Kinchins I'm also very curious to see uh Dadrian Dadrian uh Taylor Demerson he's a mm-hmm. guy who's been coming up kind of late this year and not even every site has him listed at all in their rankings so I'm curious. To, I want to see how fast these safeties are. Last year, if you remember, was a fairly slow class in terms of 40 time for safeties. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious to see how these guys measure up. Yep, definitely. And, the, you know, the Packers need safeties. They need slot corners and they need, they need linebackers. Um, you may from, have noticed I, I've stacked entirely on the on the defensive side. I, I wouldn't be surprised if this was a very defensive heavy draft for the Packers. So I, I totally get that. I've also stacked on positions. I think they're going to take multiple of, I think they're going to take, it's a good chance. They end up with two new linebackers. Maybe one will be a free agent. They're definitely going to have it at, at, at least two safeties. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, yes. Maybe only one slot corner, but um, I think there could be, you know, we could be double dipping at a couple of these spots. Yeah. For me, the last one that I had was Troy Faltanu. Um, he's a guy that, you know, I would like in the first round to the Packers, although if they don't see left tackle as a need, maybe that's not going to happen, but I'm very interested in what his arm length is going to be. You know, there's a lot of people saying he might move into guard and that he doesn't look the longest. Is he going to hit that threshold for arm length for tackles? Or is he going to be a guy that's kind of pigeonholed into guard? If he's pigeonholed into guard, I could see him like falling a little bit, maybe, you know, to the end of the first round, as opposed to seeing him mocked a lot of places more around like 16, 17, 18 right now. So that's just something I'm keeping my eye on. Uh, but anyway, Dad, anything, last things you want to say about the uh, well, combine or should we, you know, wrap things up? Well, I would just say about uh, Kautanu and, and other tackles like him that I think that's what the Packers might be looking for is a tackle they can move inside. But a player might have more like draft value if he has long enough arms to play both tackle and guard. Yeah. And so they yeah. need to be picked up earlier in the draft. Yep. But anyway, this has been our Combine Prep episode. Uh, keep an eye on us on Twitter, at Father Son Packer, during these next few days, Wednesday to Sunday, of or Thursday to Sunday, that is, of Combine testing. We'll be tweeting all about it. So, you know, come give us a follow. And again, that's at Father Son Packer. We also tweet out when we have new episodes out, uh, stats that we find interesting when we're doing, you know, research for these episodes, articles we find interesting, and content from other Packers content creators. You know, one-stop shopping for everything Titletown, you know, roster moves, coach moves, retweets around that, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. So that's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. We pull our episodes out on YouTube. We'll be doing an episode every single week over the off season, uh, talking about the draft, talking about free agency, um, talking about training camp, mini camp, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So don't tune that dial. And then on Twitter, we'll be doing mock draft Mondays every single Monday. So, you know, come interact with us, leave us a comment, tell us, let us know what you think. Um, but yeah, thanks so much for listening. We'll be right back with you next week. And until next time, go Pack Go. Go Pack Go.